welcome to the Scots and Us podcast from the American Scottish Foundation. My name's Jamie McGeechan and I hope you're doing well. Welcome to this I Write Festival special where we will be focusing on Glasgow's book festival I Write running from the 14th to 23rd in May. Presented by Glasgow Life, I Write is a wonderful festival which takes place normally in the Mitchell Library in Glasgow. This year, the I Write Festival takes place as a fully online event and there's a great programme which we're going to delve into a little bit later. For this podcast, I had the pleasure of speaking with Bob McDevitt, programmer of the iRoute Festival, who gave me a rundown on the festival this year, a bit of context as well as some recommendations for the programme. I have the pleasure of speaking with award-winning Scottish author Kirsten Innes as we discuss iRoute Festival, her debut Fishnet and her wonderful book Scabby Queen. But first up, we're joined with the brilliant Robbie Morrison as he tells us all about his debut novel, Edge of the Grave. It's an absolute pleasure to talk with Robbie Morrison today. Good afternoon, Robbie. How are you doing today? I'm absolutely brilliant to see you, Jamie. Thank you for thank you for having me on. Robbie, it's brilliant to get this opportunity to connect with you. The iRoute Festival starts today. It's an exciting time ahead with the festival being completely online this year. And of course, people all over the world can access the festival. You're going to be appearing at iWrite on the 21st on a panel to discuss your brilliant novel, Edge of the Grave, which I've been thoroughly enjoying. It's your very first novel, although you do have an extensive career in literature world, which we'll go into in a wee second. Can you tell our audience a wee bit about Edge of the Grave, please, Robbie, and what the event next week will be? Uh, yes, certainly. Um, well, Edge of the Grave is a dark historical crime thriller set in 1930s Glasgow. It, um, it focuses on the two characters, Inspector Jimmy Dreghorn and his Sergeant Bonnie Archie McDade, um, who are both uh, World War I veterans and have since become police officers. And uh, it follows them when, when the son of uh, one of the wealthiest shipbuilders in Glasgow is pulled out of the River Clyde with his throat cut. Dreghorn and McDade are given the case, which is um, slightly problematic for Jimmy Dreghorn because it turns out he has a troubled romantic history with the um, the victim's wife. Um, it's a it's a very dangerous case that takes them from the flying fists and flashing blades of the, the meanest Glasgow streets and the underworld up into the, the backstabbing operations of government and big business, all in the hunt for a, a, a brutal killer who will, you know, very quickly have the pair of them in their sights. Um, uh, another writer I know, Dominic Donald, recently described it as a uh, Two coppers fight toffs, razor gangs, and prejudice in the hunt for a serial killer, which I, I actually thought was quite a good pitch for it. And I thought, I wish I, had, I wish I had described it sufficiently. Um, and uh, luckily, um, well, I'm very much looking forward to appearing uh, next Friday at uh, almost exactly at this time, half past three, uh, on a panel called Four Centuries of Murder." Uh, Hopefully I'm appearing as a guest and not a victim or anything like that. Um, I'm I'm on with the writers S.G. McLean, uh, Craig Russell, and it's being chaired by E.S. Thompson, uh, who's another uh, fabulous writer in her own right. 
Um, and uh, SG McLean is on to talk about the House of Lamentations, the latest in her uh, series of Cromwellian historical thrillers. And Craig Russell is on to talk about Hyde, his, uh, his uh, new gothic thriller, which is a, a, a very interesting take on um, Robert Louis Stevenson's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, but um, about which obviously can't say anything more other than we don't want to spoil anything. Uh, but yes, I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to being on the panel. I think it uh, should be a lot of fun, even for a panel that's entitled cheerfully uh, Four Generations of Four Centuries of Murder. <laughs> Absolutely. It, it, feel, it feels like a very Scottish title. It does so. With, with... I should have said sort of four centuries of murder. I should, have, <laughs> I should have made it more dramatic there, wasn't I? I wasn't selling it enough. Murder. It's not murder, it's murder. Murder, yeah. There's nothing like it in a Scottish accent. With uh, your novel Edge of the Grave being set in the 1930s in Glasgow, I, I read that you had uh, some extensive research into the period and that was something um, that you were quite fascinated by, the, the context of the time um, with the, the post-war environment, uh, those roving razor gangs and the, the poverty and grittiness of Glasgow in the 1930s, it does feel like the, the perfect backdrop for these grisly murders. Can you, can you tell us a wee bit about the research um, for the book, the, the process of that, please? Yeah, well, as you say, I, I've, I've always had a, a slight fascination for the period of the 1930s, um, as well as for the, the sort of all the gangster films and the hard-boiled crime fiction of that period. But, and, and like, you know, a huge majority of people in the, in the west of Scotland, and I'm sure... Um, people who have emigrated to America, you know, you know, generations ago, or have um, a, a sort of history of uh, uh, shipbuilding in my family, uh, going back, going, going back four generations in, in, in my part. But it's obviously, it's an industry that's long gone now. Um, so I do, had listened to sort of family stories of, you know, my, my grandfather uh, worked in the shipyards and the in black squads in the shipyards as a, a boiler maker and caulker. Um, and because of obviously, but when you look at Glasgow nowadays, all, all of that's gone. So it, it kind of develops a, you know, an almost, you know, mythological status in your head. Uh, and it's, it's just something I, I was, unfortunately, my dad also compiled a, a handy family history for me that um, I, I managed to weave elements of that into the, into the, the story as well, such as um, my my paternal grandfather used to box for um, Lord Colquhoun, um, one of the who who owned a, his family owned a great deal of Loch Lomanshire in the time, um, and this was back when sort of wealthy landowners and aristocrats used to have stables of athletes. Um, so I, I've taken some of, of that and weaved it into the into the storyline, fictionalised obviously, but I've given. Jimmy Dreghorn, quite a bit of that background. Um, I'm also fortunate enough in that my partner, Deborah, is a sort of uh, ex-Marvel uh, Comics trained editor, and um, she also has an interest in a, 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 for Glasgow in that period because her her grandmother lived in Glasgow and her, her mother also lived in uh, Glasgow during the, that, the, the 50s as well. So. 
And so she's been very helpful in doing quite a bit of research as well and going through various books and magazines such as, you know, Molly Weir's memoirs and uh, going through them with a fine tooth comb and highlighting all the material that would be interest, of interest to me and might work well for the, uh, in the books. And uh, so really, yeah, I've just sort of, between that, I immersed myself pretty much in the research of the period and, and reading the literature of the time, such as um, books, such as the, um, the Shipbuilders by George Blake, which was, a, a, you know, set in the 1930s of that period, which again gives you a, a glimpse into that world. It sounds absolutely perfect for a film adaptation at some point. Is that something that you would explore? Uh, well, I mean, you wait and see what happens. I'd, I'd be delighted to see uh, something like that film or television take off. But who knows with these things? It's uh, it's it's mainly it's why at the moment I just focus on it as a book and, and the story the story that features in the book and make that, you know, work as hopefully as well as you possibly can and, um, you know, do your best and you know create as as strong a book, uh, strong a story as you can. And if yeah, if anybody comes along and is interested, then you know what I'm, I'm sure I wouldn't say no. Absolutely. And as I mentioned earlier on, this may well be your first novel, but you've an extensive career in literature, Robbie, for your work in 2000 AD. Uh, in my opinion, the greatest comic series ever, and one I've been a fan of since I was 11 or 12 years old. I was wondering if you could speak a wee bit about your, your, your work with 2000 AD and the, the, the process of, um, you know, now writing novels and the link between the two. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I've always found um, writing comics is, a, I find comics is a, is a great medium for storytelling, so I've always enjoyed uh, working in comics, but... Uh, Probably my main, um, my main love was always crime fiction. So it was always something I had, you know, uh, an eye to writing sort of crime fiction at some point in the future. And, and while comics are a, are a great medium, the, the comics like 2000 AD, they tend to focus mainly on sort of science fiction or superheroes to do anything that moves away from those two genres is sometimes, uh, it's a bit of a hard sell in comics. Um, but to be honest, uh, you know, I, I think writing a novel for for the story in Edge of the Grave and um, you know the you know the adventures of Jimmy Dreghorn and Bonnie Archie McDade, I felt a novel would be the best place to tell that kind of uh, story where you can just immerse yourself into a world and a period and a history. Um, in terms of actual writing, the both both mediums, comics and um, novels are very different. Um, obviously, there's tons and tons and tons of words in a novel, whereas comics are, are a very visual medium. But when uh, when you write comics, it's I always describe it as it's a bit like writing a screenplay or a television script, um, where you break you you come up with a story and then you break it down into the action and the dialogue uh, and what you're doing when you're writing that script, even though it only goes to two or three people, um, you're, when you're writing a script, you're trying to get into the artist's head to, to, to spark off the artist's imagination so that they can bring some, them, uh, they can bring something of themselves to the story as well. Um, 
and bring it to life. And I, I always think, ultimately, that's what you're doing in, when you're writing a book as well. You're trying to, to get into the reader's head and spark their imagination so that they imagine the world and the characters. Uh, so I think that the reader's imagination is probably the best tool a writer has in many ways, you know, because everybody, I mean, I, when I write the book, I don't, I don't do very detailed descriptions of a lot of the characters. So hopefully readers will have their own, every single reader will have their own different image of Dreghorn or McDade or Ellen Duncan or any of the other characters in the novels. They'll have their own personal image of them, if, if that makes sense. So in that respect, you know, it's it's all ultimately, I think, it's all still storytelling. It's just, it's in a different, different mediums and different mediums of different strengths. Um, but, you know, it's all, it's all about telling, it's all about the story ultimately. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and did you have um, a, a real life inspiration for Detective Inspector Jimmy Dreghorn? Um, not, not a particularly a, a, a real life inspiration as such. I, I've, I've certainly um, read about uh, various, you know, veterans of the, of the First World War, and, and as I said about my 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 dad compiled a family history, which some of the background of my my granddad is, you know, as an amateur boxer and as a and working in the shipyards. So I, I've drawn on I've drawn on that sort of uh, material. Um, and there's also, there was, uh, and in stories of, um, I mean, obviously there's the sectarianism in Glasgow at the time in between the gangs and in the police force. So where I, I'd heard sort of word of mouth stories about, um, you know, one of the first sort of Catholics who, who, who became, who was, who was promoted to the, the rank of a police inspector uh, in the 1930s. So, uh, in, in Glasgow in the 1930s. So I, I basically all, it's, it's a sort of amalgamation of various, of, you know, various influences here and there and pieces of reading and, and also characters. I think one thing I wanted to do was try and um, bring the 1930s to life, bring that world to life and make it feel real and, and, um, and, and you know, realistic. But at the same time also, into the the other stuff I loved, which is all the hard-boiled crime fiction of that period of, of the 1930s, like Dashiell Hammett and Raymond Chandler, or Chandler, um, and also a James Cagney, Humphrey Bogart gangster films, which in that period, those same films would have influenced, you know, the Razor Gangs and the way they dressed and the the swagger and the style that they took on. So it's the way the you know the the media of that time sort of fed into it, just in the way that nowadays you, uh, you know, the the Godfather when it was made in the 70s, uh, Francis Coppola, then went on to influence real mafia families and their behaviour. Um, it, it, it's kind of, it, it, you try and do something that, 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 you know, works and feels realistic at the same time as, as but, you know, you know it's, it's fiction, but it has to feel believable. Absolutely, and, and where can where can people um, go to find out uh, more about yourself, Robbie? And where can they buy the, the the book Edge of the Grave, please? Where would you signpost people to? Um, well, I mean, I, I, I guess I would also say if you're looking to buy the book, it's always good to go to your independent local independent bookshop. 
other than that, um, I guess at the moment online is, you know, bookshop.org or, um, you know, I hate to mention Amazon because they're so massive, but the, the various uh, uh, places like that, but it, it should be, uh, I, um, uh, it should be available. It should be, it's already available in, in the UK, but it should be available in the US fairly soon. I think it will be um, uh, being distributed over there. So uh, go to your local bookshop and uh, if this sounds interesting, go to your local bookshop and ask them to order it for you and uh, it'll, it'll turn up. You have my word on it. Perfect. We'll make sure of it. We'll make sure of it. Um, and are you working on your next book already? I am indeed. I'm uh, deep in the middle of the, the follow-up to Edge of the Grave, uh, featuring uh, largely featuring the same characters, the ones that survived from the from the previous book, at least. Um, uh, we're working on that. In fact, we just recently, I think, we just decided on the title. Uh, that we're going with for it, which I'm, um, I, I can't say at the moment, of course, but uh, yeah, it's all going well. It's uh, and if um, fingers crossed, if, if things keep going, it will be you know, Drake Horn and McDade will carry on as a as a series of books, which you know follows their the lives, loves, and adventures, and 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 what would be uh, a sort of a part crime thriller series and part family saga that would also allow you know. One of the one things, one of the things I did want to do in the novel was actually make Glasgow itself as big a character as as uh, as the the detectives and the villains, and um, so I, I, I you know I wanted to try and write a series that captures you know the spirit of the city and the spirit of the people and how they you know how they make each other basically. Uh, so that's. Absolutely. Well, you do such a, a wonderful job of evoking Scotland and um, it's such a pleasure to connect with you today. So thank you so very much for your time, Robbie. Thank you for your time. No, you're welcome. Thank you. And um... hope to catch up with you again soon, Robbie. That would be brilliant and wish you all the very best with I write. Thanks. Thanks, Jamie. Take care. Bye. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. It really was such a pleasure to talk with Robbie Morrison there, author of Edge of the Grave, which is a gripping, gripping book and I fully recommend it. Next up, we're joined by the brilliant Kirsten Innes, author of Fishnet and Scabby Queen, as Kirsten talks about her influences, inspirations and appearing at this year's I Write Festival. It's my absolute pleasure to speak with the brilliant Kirsten Innes today as we talk a wee bit about the upcoming I Write Festival, which started on Friday. And I'm loving it already. Kirsten, how are you getting on today and how are you feeling about the iRight Festival this year? Um, yeah, um, excited, good. Um, I, was, uh, I was used to be on iRight last year and um, I think my event was um, scheduled a week after lockdown was announced. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> so it's, it's nice to be kind of taking part virtually. I'm really amazed at the way the book festivals have all managed to pivot to online content. And um, it's been really nice, actually. I've done quite a few book festivals. My book came out in June last year and I've done quite a few book festivals and had um, people in audiences online that would never have been able to make it, you know, whether they're geographically miles away, there was somebody in New York, uh, was at my Edinburgh Book Festival one, or whether they're just, you know, they've got caring responsibilities and they're unable to get out of the house. Yeah. I think it's really nice that um, this, this is one of the good side effects of having a pandemic is that 
you know, book festivals, this sort of thing can become a bit more accessible. Um, absolutely, absolutely. Because I, I believe this is the, the, the very uh, first time ever that I write is completely online and it takes place in Glasgow which is such a, a brilliant experience in itself you know to, to visit Glasgow or if you're lucky enough to live there and um, so certainly it's usually a, a kind of a literary pilgrimage for people um, from all over the world to come and take part and, and join in but this year obviously it's it's all online which as you say it does have its good points as well. It's always a privilege to get the opportunity to talk with writers about their work and as the author of the incredible novels Fish Fishnet and Scabby Queen. It's a delight to talk with you. Your first novel, Fishnet, explored sex work and sex workers and, and gave a great sense of humanity, rightfully, to sex workers. Um, and, and Scabby Queen was a, a brilliant portrayal of the, the life, the, the sad demise of Cleo Campbell. And you've been recognised, celebrated and won awards. Deservedly. <laughs> But how did it all start for you, Kirsten? How did writing start for you and uh, putting your ideas down on paper? Oh, I was always, always writing. Um, um, I used to, um, my mum was a single mother, so she would kind of, I would be, you know, I spent a lot of time after school at my grand's house and my grandma was a, um, a former, uh, a, a very, very kind of left-wing um, Labour Party activist and she had these old typewriters that she used to thump out these angry letters to the newspapers and, and you know, set typeset local left-wing newsletters to her pensioners community. Um, and I would play around on these typewriters and just put together stories and um, yeah, my mum found a pile of them when we were clearing out my grandma's house after she died. Um, they weren't great, but you know, go me at seven for, <laughs> for doing that. Um, but I've always, always written and I've always wanted to be a writer. Words are just the thing that makes most sense to me I think um I think I was I was lucky being coming of age as um somebody who would kind of progress up from the point horror and the sweet valley highs and the babysitters clubs um <laughs> at a particular point in um and in, in Scottish literary history I suppose we would call it in the mid-90s when um just as I was starting to take an interest in adult fiction I was you know 13 14 15 um there was this extraordinary kind of flourishing in Scottish writing um, about writing about contemporary issues and um, from quite a politicised working class point of view to an extent. So train spotting is the biggest and best known, which was 1993. Um, and, um, and that was it from my home city of Edinburgh that was set in as well. Um, and then there were, you know, so many other writers that kind of came through at that point. And I was reading them as a 14 or a 15 year old. And that is what, you know, writing by Janice Galloway and Jackie Kay and Alistair Gray is what formed my sense of what it was to be an adult author. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm very much kind of putting myself in that and that kind of as, as, as influenced by that line. Absolutely. And with them, um, you know, stories and characters, backgrounds that are based in Scotland, mm -hmm. um, spotting, for instance, do you do you think that helped you form a, a sense of, you know, that it's okay to write stories about Scotland or, or did that inspire you in a way? No, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, particularly the work of um, someone like Janice Galloway, who um, what, what she does, I've, I've said this before, but what she does in her breakout novel, which is 1989, The Trick is to Keep Breathing, sorry, 1990, was um, to, it, it's ostensibly about a very ordinary um, kind of 
working middle lower middle class women's life she's a, a school teacher a drama school teacher but she deputizes at a, in a, a bookies a gambling shop in the weekends um but what she does with the artistry and the language and the experimentation she kind of elevates the emotions of this woman's life she is going through severe depression following grief and eating disorders she um, she elevates it to kind of the stuff of high art um experimentalism and the kind of the level of emotional clarity that you get with something like opera and i think her doing that really made it she really paved a way for those of us who kind of came after her to to be able to say that and the author andrew o'hagan um he was he was writing um recently about um the new generation of Scottish writers and I was I was very very flattered to be included um, but what he what he said that I thought was quite interesting and he was talking about me and um, Douglas Stewart of course Shaggy Bain um, Glasgow New York's finest and um, Graham Armstrong who, who's written a book called The Young Team and, and, and Jenny Fagan he said that we're fearless whereas writers of his generation had a little bit of um, kind of Scottish cringe or apology um still to get through and i'm not saying there isn't that still to come but i think we've we've got an idea of a bit more that's possible does that make sense I, absolutely absolutely um very much so very much so you're taking part in two events that i write this year um mm -hmm. beyond yes and no what's next for scotland with stephen gethins and ian dale can you tell us a wee bit about that please kirsten um yeah, I mean, that's, um, it's interesting. It's going to be chaired by um, the Sunday Times Scotland editor. So it's a big, it's a big, um, and I think it's a Sunday Times event. So that's a big newspaper. Um, I'm, I'm aware how much I have to translate for, for my my audience just now. This is like when I translated my, my first novel, Fishnet, for, for American readers and I had to take out a lot of the swearing. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, so I think um, that event is going to be, um, we're looking at obviously with Scotland um, we had um, an independence referendum to decide whether or not we would leave um, the United Kingdom in 2014 and um, there was a, a narrow margin for you know we're going to stay as we are at the time and um, things have changed materially since then with um, us getting all brexited against our will and um, you know I think as well the um, there's there's a great ground swelling at the moment there's a feeling that something should be happening again um and, and so i think we're going to look at that and we're going to look at are there ways of kind of overcoming the toxic online culture that seems to have um kind of tainted political debate a bit my my novel my scabby queen is is about um a political activist over 50 years of her life and i think that's why i've been asked to to do this one as well um and i think yeah we're going to be just sort of hoping towards a future and looking towards a future and seeing what we can what we can make that absolutely and i mean writers um writers artists cultural creators have always been at the forefront of uh, forging ahead um showing the way um showing their bravery and imagination and capturing the not only capturing the, the public imagination but really paving the way and and with um, you know obviously the the political context, um, do you feel that artists in Scotland are are making themselves as well as you know the, the political cause, shall we say, more visible now than perhaps previously? 
so to a certain extent. I would say as well that I suspect maybe there's an argument to say that we've always been doing our thing um, and it's not about making us our, ourselves making ourselves more visible it's more whether or not there is a will for that spotlight to shine on us or not. Um, Douglas Stewart when he won the Booker Prize he did an absolutely amazing thing the first tweet that he sent out as soon as that announcement had been made was to name check 10 other Scottish writers um, who he thought people should read if they were interested in um, reading writing from Scotland and that was a that was an extraordinary act of generosity that was a wonderful thing that he did and there's no there's no denying that you know the success of Shuggy Bain which is only the it's only the second Scottish novel to win the Booker Prize um and I'm not sure how old the prize is that is an old prize though um, and the first one was 26 years earlier you know and and considering how much of a great literary tradition there is in Scotland. It's, it's a very strange situation that. Um, but definitely there's something to be said for Shaggy Bean having shone a light on on, on Scottish writing, um, for sure. Um, I mean, I think Scottish artists actually have always be, have been punching above their weight for quite a while when it comes to visual art, for sure. Um, and, and yeah, and there, there are a lot of the Glasgow School of Art is, is a kind of breeding ground for artistic excellence on the international scene, I think. So it's nice that writers are maybe getting our wee chance in the sun a little bit more. Um, and a lot of that is thanks to Douglas, who is an extraordinarily generous man. So. Right. It, it seems to me that there is a, a growing appetite as well as awareness that the, the so-called ordinary about Scotland and Scottish culture is every bit as interesting, exciting and engaging as, you know, stories about, you know, the, the street in New York, you know, um, like for, for me, I think Trainspotting was the first thing that I'd read uh, from Scotland that was about you know, ca characters that you may well bump into in the street if you had the misfortune to, or the fortune to, you know, but real people um, speaking in, 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 in Scots, you know, and, and being able to uh, identify with characters on some level. And um, for me, it's just great to see people really having an appetite for, for Scottish stories now that aren't necessarily about the kind of more traditional romantic aspects of Scottish culture, you know, that realism is brilliant. Um, so I'm, I'm very excited about this, this new wave of, of literary talents, including yourself. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. You'll also be taking part, you'll be chairing the fiction as the new rock and roll event, featuring the talents of Alan Warner and Donnie Walton. Alan is the author of Morvan Caller, and the new book Kitchenly 434, and Donnie Walton is the author of the final revival of Opal and Nev. With Scabby Queen focusing on the life of fictional music star Cleo Campbell, all three books really get into pop culture and music in a big way. Has music been a big fixture in your life, and who did you enjoy listening to in your formative years and now? <laughs> Um, yes, always. Um, and I should have said Alan Warner as well was one of, Morgan Caller was another one of those very formative books for me. So I'm going to try and rein it in and not be mega starstruck when I'm chatting to him uh, next week. Um, yes, music has always been a really, a really big um, thing in my life. When I was younger, um, I, um, well, uh, yeah, what 
kind of happened again in my teenage years um, was uh, alongside the um, the flourishing in Scottish literature. We also had Britpop. Um, so I listened to a lot of blur and pulp, but it was always, I mean, my um, my partner sometimes jokes that I don't really listen to male artists at all anymore. Um, and I say, no, I do, I listen to Prince. Um, <laughs> and, um, but I've always been drawn to, to female artists and female musicians in, in that way. Um, which is one of the things I connected with about um, Donnie Walton's amazing book, The Final Revival of Opal and Neb. Actually, that's a fantastic book. Um, so the big influences on me were people like, well, when I was a rebellious teenager, Courtney Love and um, Shirley Manson, um, and to an extent, Tori Amos as well. And there's quite, there's a wee bit of um, Tori Amos and Shirley Manson, certainly in the way that Cleo Campbell, my fictional main character, kind of presents herself. Um, and um, yeah, the <laughs> um, nowadays I'm, I'm I pretty much worship at the Temple of Janelle Monáe. Um, through my kind of late teens, early twenties, I was very much into Alison Goldfrapp, um, and I worked I worked in a kind of a venue and nightclub and got kind of into techno in my mid techno and electronica in my my mid twenties. Um, whereas before I've been strictly guitars only. Um, so yeah, I'm just I'm always always excited by what music can do and where it can take you um, and specifically interested in the women who kind of get in there and break down those sort of boys club structures so um, important. and often do it far better as well <laughs> with with that that segues nicely later this year you're going to release a biography of the Archies in Glasgow, which for our viewers and listeners was an incredible multi-purpose arts venue and cultural hub right in the centre of Glasgow at Glasgow Central Station, which I believe that you worked at Kirsten. Yeah, that was the that was the, the club <laughs> that I was referring to. So it was actually it, it started as these um empty old Victorian brick arches holding up a train station. Um it got turned into a venue briefly during a massive sort of 1990 Glasgow exhibition. And then my former boss, an old, uh, an old punk theatre director called Andy Arnold, was just like, I'm just going to keep my theatre space in there. And then they started putting on nightclubs to kind of fund the theatre. And it became this, it was, it was open from 1991 to 2015. And it became this extraordinary space where everything felt a bit possible. Um, it would attract the biggest international um, DJs, um, Derek May, um, Craig Carter, uh, all regulars there. Um, sorry, Derek Carter. <laughs> Derek Carter. Oh my goodness, I got my techno confused with a Tory politician there. <laughs> it happens, it happens. Derek Carter, you know. Um, Anyway, um, Carl, Derek Carter and Carl Craig were, you know, two of the names who possibly um, Americans might know. Um, Calvin Harris got his start at the Arches when I was working there. He was just a wee boy that used to hang around the, the DJ decks. Um, but it was also a space where, because all of the revenue from the clubbing went into um, went into making increasingly experimental theatre and art and giving artists a space to experiment and play around. Um, so it was very important for um for, for people for for theatre in Scotland and Europe as well um so it was this extraordinary place and I've written it um with my co-editor uh, David Bratchpiece who was the Arch's second longest term employee um we've done it like an oral history 
which again is like um, Donnie Walton's Opal and Nev, a nice coincidence there. So we've just, we've interviewed everybody from, you know, the DJ Carl Cox to the guy who used to work in the cloakrooms. Um, and we've got them all kind of telling the story of this building in their own words, because it really was a building that was kind of built by a group of people. Well, it wasn't built, um, a venue spirit of a place was built by a group of people who felt that something was possible so i'm really excited for that book to come out as well Absolutely. I, I certainly know um a few people that will be also um i had a few nights going to enjoy you know slam and going to optimo nights and things myself and it was incredible an incredible mm -hmm. time and it really is it's such a shame that um although it, you know, it does exist in some form now. I mean, the last time I went in, there was loads of food vans inside there, which is cool. a nice use of the space, but perhaps a wee bit different to 2,000 people having the time of their life on a Saturday night. I've actually just um, done a Daft Punk as well, um, where we're signed by Slam, who were the DJs at that classic Friday night you would have gone to, first of all. Um, I've actually just done a Radio 4 documentary um, about Daft Punk in Glasgow, um, which aired last week, um, and about them kind of hanging out at the arches. Um, uh, Kate Dickey, the actor, narrated it as well. She's best known maybe as Lisa Aaron from in Game of Thrones, if you're, if you're in America. But... Um, yeah, so uh, that was that was a really fun one as well because uh, Daft Punk got their start. We're hanging out at the Arches Club nights in Cognito. They used to fly over from Paris. Absolutely, I remember seeing Kate Decky in an airport once and being quite starstruck. Mm. You know, I had to stop staring, but I was like, "Wow, it's you!" Um, <laughs> I know. Hopefully, the Arches will come back in in some form or another. I mean, these creative spaces are so important. Of course, they they're brilliant community hubs, they grow movements, they, they bring people together. Um, certainly with writing though, we, we can do it anywhere and certainly you take the reader to everywhere. What in your opinion are the most important elements of good writing, Kirsten? Um, I can only speak for myself really. Um, I um, well, I can speak as a writer and as a reader. What I what I need for my own oh, to feel kind of confident and satisfied in my own writing is um, that no character feels like a caricature. Even if it's somebody who's a wee bit of a baddie, I want to be able to show them as a human being. That's kind of that for me is is always the the sort of the most important kind of step. I need everybody needs to feel real um, if I'm if I'm working on them and. I think I react to that in um, in other people's writing as well. Um, a lot of my writing is um, I didn't realise this until they put this on the blurb of my book, but <laughs> they were right. Um, a lot of my writing is about empathy, and um, you know, Scabby Queen. Um, you know, you can do the broad brush strokes and say it's about uh, fifty years in the life of this musician, and she's a, an activist, and she's a um, you know political activist, and she never sits down. And but it's told from the points of view of the people she kind of left along the way, twenty four different people. And at each of those little bits of narration, there's um, just a wee little rub of two people kind of rubbing up against each other in some way. And that's the bit I'm always most interested in, that wee tiny human connection and what it means, or that wee failure of connection and what it doesn't mean. So, yeah. Absolutely. So empathy is at the root of, 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 of good characterisation. And... Definitely, yeah. Have you started working on your next book already or what's coming up for you, Kirsten? 
<laughs> a little bit, a little bit I have. Um, I've, I've had quite a lot of small projects over the last year, quite quite a lot of recommissions um, or other ones and when it comes to the, the Arches book. Um, I want to write a book called Semi-Precious. At the moment I'm just doing, I'm at the, the starting stage where I'm going on walks and squirreling away details. Um, I love a multi-generational story, so this is a multi-generational story about um, small time life, capitalism, family, um, who gets to leave, who gets to stay, um, and possibly fairies, actually. Um, I've got a five-year-old son who's obsessed with fairies, and it's become quite interesting to me that already the world kind of wants to tell him that fairies are not a thing that boys should be interested in. So I've been digging into that quite a bit, and I think I'm coming up with something there as well for one of my one of my characters. So, yeah. Scotland's got such a, a great link, obviously, with fairies, part of the folklore, and they're for everybody. They're for everybody. Oh, yeah, yeah. How, how can viewers, readers, um, buy your books, or where would you direct them to, please, Kirsten, and to find out more? Oh, sure. Um, well, my first novel, Fishnet, is actually out in the US, published by Simon & Schuster's Scout Press imprint. Um, and I got a very nice royalty check um, for that the other day that I was not expecting because I do not expect to get money for royalties. So thank you very much, US readers, for buying and liking Fishnet. It's got a really gorgeous neon cover as well. So that you can get wherever your independent bookshop of choice might happen to be. Um, Scabby Queen at the moment is not available in the US um, unless you go through sort of various routes. Um, uh, yeah, there's great independent bookshops in Scotland that will happily post you a copy. I like the Lighthouse Books and Portobello Books. Um, it's also Waterston's Scottish Book of the Month right now as well, which is very nice. So I'm sure Waterston's would post you a copy too. Um, and my biography of the Arches is out with Salamander Street in November. Um, so if you look them up, they've got a link to it on their on their website for just now and then it'll be the lobby on general release from there. Absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk with you, Kirsten. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you very much. And um, yeah, um, have fun at the Highland Games this weekend. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Thank you. An absolute pleasure to speak with Kirsten Innes there, an absolute pleasure. Next up, I'm in conversation with Bob McDevitt, programmer of the iWrite Festival, and what a great conversation we had. Hi, Bob. It's absolutely brilliant to see you. How are you today? Jamie, it's nice to see you too. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm very well, very well. We're right in the middle of uh, things here at the festival, so we've got some live events coming up in May, but at the moment what I'm doing is pre-recording events, so it's a busy schedule. Uh, not too bad today. Tomorrow, literally all day tomorrow, I'm just sitting in our studio uh, recording, recording author events. Nice job, actually. Absolutely. Well, we're all very much looking forward to the iWrite Festival. And as the programmer for the iWrite Festival, you are right in the middle of the action and it's all coming up. It's all coming up very soon uh, from the 14th to the 23rd of May. I was wondering, please, Bob, if you could give us a, a general overview of the iWrite Festival for this year, please. Sure. Uh, that's right, first of all, it's all my fault, so if you don't like what's on iWrite, you can blame me. Um, obviously, a bit, <coughs> obviously, things are a bit different this year. Uh, normally, the festival would be taking place uh, physically in the Mitchell Library in Glasgow, beautiful uh, old building right in the city centre of Glasgow. Uh, this year, of course, uh, due to all the reasons that everybody understands, uh, we've had to move the festival online. 
Um, I felt very strongly that I, I should try and keep the spirit of iWrite uh, going, even though we were online. So I've tried to have the usual uh, sort of mix of events, which is, you know, some big names, some well-known people, people you'll have seen on the telly and uh, best-selling authors. So we've got people like Sam Hewn, the Outlander actor, uh, who's appearing with Graeme McTavish, uh, talking about their book, Clanlands. We've got Maggie O'Farrell, uh, who won the Women's Prize last year. Um, we've got Douglas Stewart, uh, the author of Shuggy Bain, who won the Booker Prize. Uh, we've got Richard Thompson, the famous old... Uh, Folk legend, uh, member of Fairport Convention, he's coming to talk about his autobiography. So we've got those kind of big kind of headliner names <coughs> um, that you would expect. Um, IRATE's always had a, a, a reputation for being a sort of festival of ideas and uh, a non-fiction really. So we've, we've always done very well in areas like politics and memoir, sport, music, um, cookery even. So we, we do very well in sort of non-fiction areas uh, as well as these big sort of prize-winning uh, novelists. So there's quite a lot of that this year. Um, there's a lot of writing on the environment. Uh, obviously, Glasgow, uh, the city where the festival originated, is going to be the host to the COP26 conference in November this year when uh, world leaders will be coming uh, into Glasgow. So there's a number of events in the programme uh, this year on climate, climate science, climate change. Excellent. Really nice memoirs. Uh, and then another area that we're very, very passionate about is debut writers and new writers. So we've got three sessions this year uh, dedicated just to debut writers. Um, Scottish debut writers in one session, fiction debuts, and then crime fiction. Loads and loads of uh, crime published. But the festival feels, as I say, we feel very strongly that, um, you know, tomorrow's big names are today's debuts. And uh, debut writers, I think, more than anyone else, have really suffered... Uh, during the past year because they've, you know, slaved away for years on these beloved books uh, and then the books have come out and all the bookshops are closed and the libraries are closed and the schools are closed and there's nowhere really for them to go out and do talks and uh, get promotion for the book. So we, we felt very sorry for the debut writers this year. So, uh, yeah, I think that's there's, there's more than 20 debut writers featuring uh, in the programme this year. Fantastic, absolutely brilliant. It's so important to give a platform to, you know, the, the, the writers that are just brand new on the scene. And certainly it's always very exciting when you feel like you've discovered a new talent. Um, as a festival of ideas, Bob, is there an overarching theme for the festival this year? We don't do an overarching theme, uh, Jamie. It's I know it's something that other festivals do. Um, I sometimes find they can be a wee bit restrictive. So if you've got something like transformation, or <laughs> you that, do you then make try and make every event fit into that theme, or do you only program things that fit in? Uh, so no, we've never done that. Uh, what I would say is that every year there are definitely themes that emerge from the publishing program. So we are, obviously we are largely driven by the new books that are coming out. Um, We've got good relationships with all the publishers and agents in the UK and now internationally. I mean, the other, the other thing we didn't mention really with the festival being online is it's opened up uh, many, many more international authors. Uh, so, you know, we've got those kind of relationships and um, you always see things that will uh, start to come through. So things like Black Lives Matter, obviously big news stories like that will translate uh, into publishing. 
uh, the Me Too movement of a few years ago, that's real, um, seen a rise in uh, a lot of memoirs uh, dealing with that that sort of thing. So the themes do appear even though we haven't necessarily set them. Absolutely. And how has the transition been for the festival to being a mostly online event this year? So it's, so it's interesting. It's made some things easier and it's made some things much more difficult. So as I've just said, we've got authors this year uh, the festival is largely going to be, look like this. It's going to look like, you know, people uh, speaking on, it's not Zoom, but a Zoom-like platform. And um, but being online has meant I've got authors coming in to the platform from California, from Texas, from New York, from Brisbane in Australia, from Oslo, from Dublin, from London, you know. So it's made, in a way, the festival more global and more outward-looking and welcoming inward uh, festival. But, you know, it, there's just nothing like meeting in a room full of people and face-to-face -face conversation. So it, for all, it's made some of the programming exciting and made some of the programming um, easier to, to bring those people in. I think a lot of people are going to miss the the the... the indescribable <laughs> feeling of actually, you know, being in a room. I, I did manage to chair one, so I'm chairing one session. We had three authors who were all in Glasgow. We were able to do it uh, with social distancing under all of the rules, and it was so lovely. So we've got one event um, in the, in the programme uh, with myself and three authors speaking face-to-face, -face just like normal humans used to do. Uh, so that was, that was really nice. Absolutely. No, there's certainly nothing like a night out in Glasgow in general, so <laughs> certainly uh, having that unique atmosphere of being able to come together in Glasgow is always a very special thing. Um, I was it's, wondering... it's very special for authors too. I think one of the things that authors really like about going to book festivals is they get to meet other authors. They get to hang about in the green room and have a gossip and catch up on you know, who's got the big advances and who, who, you know, who's been doing what to who and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so I think authors really miss uh, the fact when they're coming into just an individual Zoom like this, they don't have any, uh, there's no socialising. Absolutely. And I know that you touched upon it just a wee while ago, but I was wondering if you could pick out a few of the highlights of the festival uh, for this year, please, Bob. Yeah, sure. So, so I, I mentioned some of the sort of bigger names there, uh, I'll maybe give you, why don't I give you some Scottish people? So we've got Andrew Marr, uh, the Scottish broadcaster. He's doing a session uh, we, we normally do at the festival called The Books That Made Me. It's a little bit like Desert Island Discs, if people are familiar with the Desert Island Discs Radio 4 programme. It's like that, but for books rather than music. So we get a well-known person to talk about five or six of their uh, favourite books. Um, we've got a, a, a brilliant debut crime uh, writer, a guy called Robbie Morrison. Um, he's quite well known in the world of comics. He's written a lot for uh, comics, but this is his first fiction uh, novel. It's called Edge of the Grave and it's set between 1930s Glasgow and the First World War. So uh, the book travels back and forward in time. Really brilliant uh, book, um, fabulous on sort of locations and, and period. Uh, and a really strong character. It's the first in a series, and you can see that the, the series will uh, will go on to great things. Uh, we've got a session on Scottish wind power and renewable energy. So I said we've got quite a lot of um, uh, uh, climate-related uh, books. 
uh, and Todd Westbrook has written a short, sharp history of Scottish wind power. Uh, so he'll be coming along uh, to the festival. Um, we've got a really fascinating history, uh, a session on uh, slavery and the Scottish generally in Scot Scotland, but Glasgow specifically, uh, and the links uh, with slavery and the money that was made out of slavery. And the event is uh, Craig Lamont, who's written a, a book about, it's more about the buildings and about the, the physical legacy uh, of, of, of slavery in our cities. And then Alex Renton has written a very uh, uh, a moving sort of family memoir. So he looks back into the history of his own family uh, to uncover some of the more uncomfortable uh, parts of his own story. Uh, his book's called Blood Legacy. Uh, so yeah, there's, 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 a, there's a few for you. Certainly look forward to uh, joining those um, events. Uh, I think it's very important uh, that we discuss them. So certainly look forward to that. And can you tell me about the festival pass, please, Bob? So, uh, Jamie, we're doing something different this year. So normally, um, when the festival is physical, it's just normal tickets, and you buy a ticket for the, the session that you want to see. Um, this year, because it's online, uh, we thought we would do something different. So we're actually doing a festival pass. So for the bargain price of only £50, uh, you can come and see absolutely everything at the festival. So that's uh, 65 events. Uh, in total, I think we've got more than 140 authors uh, taking place, all for 50 quid. So uh, it's a, a wee bit different. Um, you can still buy individual tickets. So if you just want to see one thing, uh, you can buy an individual ticket. It is an absolute bargain. And I certainly look forward to viewing it and sharing with our American Scottish Foundation members and friends very soon. Um, can you tell us the, the website for the iWrite Festival, please, Bob? Yeah, it's just www.iwrite, which is A-Y-E-W-R-I-T-E dot -E com. Fantastic. We're so looking forward to the iWrite Festival from the 14th to 23rd of May. It's an absolute pleasure to speak with Bob McDevitt, programmer for the iWrite Festival today. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Bob. Thanks a lot, Jeremy. Nice to see you. Thank you. All the best. Brilliant to chat with Bob McDevitt there, programmer of the iWrite Festival. If you'd like to find out information about the iWrite Festival, please visit the website, iWrite.com. That's A-Y-E-W-R-I-T-E dot com. iWrite.com. It's a fantastic programme for the iWrite Festival and I really could not recommend it more highly. Thanks again to Bob McDavid, programmer of iWrite, for joining us today and to authors Kirsten Innes and Robbie Morrison. To keep up to date with things at the American Scottish Foundation, please see our website, americanscottishfoundation.org. We're also active across Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and on YouTube. We're always keen to welcome new members to the American Scottish Foundation and if you visit the members section on our website, you can find out more. And now to finish off, some music from Glasgow in Scotland. This is Scott Charles, a fantastic singer-songwriter from Glasgow, with a beautiful song called Central Station. All about Glasgow Central Station, which is completely iconic and really at the heart of Glasgow. This is Scott Charles with Central Station. Central Station Nine fifty nine. 
Right on to my sweetheart, to be 